with us and those who are watching online. It is good to be able to spend this time together. If you have a Bible, why don't you take your Bible and open it to Exodus chapter 31 as we continue in our series, Delivered to Dwell. God delivering sinners so as to dwell with them rescuing his people to be with his people. And we get to continue to make much of that together. And we get to be together, whether in person or online, to do this. And, and what a privilege, one that we probably won't necessarily take for granted as maybe fre- as frequently as we did pre-COVID, which is one year this Sunday when it all hit. You have probably have seen... Uh, a variety of people throughout the week make much of the fact that it has been a year culturally for us in our society. And in the midst of all of this, God has continued to be God, and He's continued to be faithful, and He continues to care for His people, and we get to gather together and make much of Him. And that's really going to be the heartbeat of our theme today. Our focus is making much of God. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read verses 12 through 18 of Exodus 31, though we'll consider the whole chapter together this morning. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among the people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, The people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we certainly ask that you would be with us this morning. We pray that you would bring great timely encouragement for our hearts, that we would be convicted where we need to be convicted, comforted where we need to be comforted, and and strengthened in the ways that we need to be strengthened. God, so would you be with us in the preaching, in the hearing, in the receiving In the believing of this, your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We make much of what we treasure. We make much of it. Whatever it is that is the treasure of our hearts, we're going to make much of it with our lives. We're going to declare it and we're going to display it in the manner in which we live. We will make much of it. I love live, in-person experiences. The sound of a home crowd at a sporting event, or the ambiance of a jazz club with good food and good sound filling the soul. I even like the meandering lines of a security checkpoint in an airport. I love the whole airport experience. I love 
in person, around people, live experience. So it's probably good that this is my vocation, right? <laughs> so. And I also know this about myself. I love to tell others about those experiences. I don't care how many times I tell the story, I'm eager to share it and to show it. And maybe you're that way too. Maybe there's some sort of thing that you experience that you can't wait to, to make much of. How much more then for us who have experienced the redeeming, rescuing work of God, and not only that, but that He calls us to Himself to be with Him, and He calls us into a whole live group audience, a whole people, a, a whole community that He gets to dwell with. We treasure these things. Do we treasure what it is that God has done for us in our redemption? Do we treasure Him when we gather together? Those thoughts are uh, directly tied to how God made us. We want to make much of what we treasure. We are wired to do so. And it's what we see on display in our passage today. That our lives, the whole of them, the work, the worship, all of it, the whole of our lives are to make much of the God who redeems and calls us to himself. So let's think through that and let's hopefully see God do a good work in our hearts so that we delight in living out our lives in a making much of God kind of way. And whatever it is that we do, that we would be delighting, treasuring God in how we live. We're going to look at that, this making much of God aspect that's coming here to the end of God's instructions to Moses for his people that have been delivered, have been at the base of Mount Sinai, are, are going to be the people that God dwells with. And we come to the end of that instruction, and we see here that we are to have lives that make much of God. Three ways that we're going to look at that together. First, make much of God through your work. Make much of God through your work. Whatever your work is, make much of God through your work. Secondly, make much of God with your worship. That your lives would be consistent, that you're making much of God in your work, and you're making much of God with your worship. And then thirdly, making much of God in His Word. We'll move through those together fairly quickly this morning. First, making much of God through your work. There are two aspects here that we're going to find here if you want to look back to the very beginning of Exodus 31. And that is, making much of God through our work comes at God's direction. At God's direction. And making much of God through our work comes for God's glory. We'll get to in a moment. But first... Making much of God through your work is at God's direction. God cares very much about the details. I think so far in our Exodus series, especially once we got to Mount Sinai, we see a God who cares very much about the details. And He cares very much about the details in our lives. If you would, look at verses 1 through 6 of Exodus 31. Let's Read through those to get a sense, a feel, context of what 
we mean by making much of God through your work. Incidentally, before we read, there are some interesting names. And I had a seminary professor say, whoever is standing up front, in front of everyone, reading and saying tricky names and words in the Bible, whatever pronunciation that person uses is the correct pronunciation. So, there you go. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones, for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. God cares about the details. He cared very deeply about the details of, of the tabernacle and of the, the, the clothing and the garments of the priesthood. He cares very much about the details. And so he is, is calling and equipping people, men who are called into this role, to build these very intricate things. He cares about the details. In verse 2 he says, see, it's a direct command, it's a be careful to pay attention to all the details I am giving. And in this, we find that God calls and God equips. He calls people to work. He calls them at His direction. And He equips. Here we find that um, these guys were equipped with the Holy Spirit was at work in them. The Holy Spirit was at work. They were filled with the Spirit. Now, just a quick note on this. We understand the Bible is is the unfolding of God's revealed purposes in all of history. It is the unfolding of His plan of redemption. And there are things that are early, that are pointing forward to things that will come in full later. And here we have one of those moments where in the Old Testament we see the Spirit comes upon people for very specific people for specific tasks during specific times and moments. That's what we see in the Old Testament. The Spirit working in specific people for specific tasks at specific moments. But that's, that's still pointing forward to something that comes later in full. In the New Testament, we find the Spirit is dwelling in God's redeemed people. Not just there for a specific task, for a specific moment, but dwelling, living, dwelling, which is fulfilling this theme that we find here in Exodus, God delivers to dwell. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle represented the dwelling place of God and men, and the Spirit was at work in the hearts of those who constructed it. But in the New Testament, what that was all pointing to, we find that Jesus is the dwelling place of God and man, and all those in Christ have the Spirit dwelling in them. So what we see imagery-wise in the tabernacle and how God brings it about is tenderizing our hearts to see how He does it in full measure in the person and work of Jesus Christ 
in the way that the Holy Spirit applies it to us. Now, I just breezed over like volumes of stuff that you can find and read and dig into to understand like how what we're reading now is fulfilled later in Christ. But, but even here, God cares so much about everything that he supplies what he requires. They're given ability and intelligence and knowledge and craftsmanship. They're to build something incredibly important and significant practically for the people, but also, also in a sense of biblically speaking, in, in terms of what it's pointing to. God is fully invested in this endeavor because he is fully invested in dwelling with his people. I mean, that's, that's what you need to hear, understand, is that God cares about all of this so immensely because he cares about being with his redeemed people. This is profound, and we get the joy of experiencing God's care to be with us. Therefore, in response, we get to make much of that. They got to make much of it in using all that God blessed them with and working hard for his glory. They put their heart and skill into the making of the tabernacle because God was worth it. He was worth it. So we get to make much of God through our work at God's direction because he cares about that. But we also get to make much of God through our work for His glory. The whole experience of the tabernacle, the construction, and then the ongoing administration of it was to point to the whole system, the the way it looked and sounded and smelled and felt, all of it was to point forward and upward to the greatness and glory and goodness and grace of God. That it was, a, it was designed and constructed to say that God was great and has glory. It was designed and constructed to say that God is good and has grace. It was to be high, transcendent, far, big, huge in scope. And yet it was to draw near because God cares deeply. It was conveying both of those things. And they were to work in such a way. For God's glory. The rescued and redeemed people of God were to live and to be and to work and to do in such a way to point to the greatness and glory and the goodness and grace of God. This visual, visceral tabernacle, the whole thing was a making much of God experience. You and I, we don't necessarily have this tabernacle that we are commissioned to go build, but we have lives that we are called to go live. And in the midst of our lives, we have vocations, we have jobs, we have responsibilities, we have things that fill our time that are good in our culture and society, provide for our families, and we can go about those in a couple of different ways. Do we go about them treating our vocation, our jobs, our responsibilities 
as worship. Now, I didn't say worship those things. I didn't say worship our jobs, our, our vocations, and our responsibilities, but do we treat them as aspects of places that we get to go about making much of God? Because you and I, we too, are to live and to be and to work and to do as if God really is great and gracious. If he really is all the glory and all the goodness. Do we do that? Because whatever we do, we have the awesome joy and privilege to do it in a way that makes much of God. We do that with our attitudes, and we do that with our actions. We work hard. We use the skill and the abilities that we have and have learned and have gained and experienced, and we, we use them. And then we do that with an attitude that is delighting in and treasuring God. Whatever it is that you do. Exactly what the New Testament says to us in Colossians 3. 23, whatever you do, whatever you do, there are a lot of different do's in here, whatever you do, work heartily as that makes much of God, or sorry, as, as for the Lord and not for men, work heartily, there it is again, you remember last week this whole idea of this wisdom to, to construct and to build was a wise of heart that they put all of their skill and heart into this. And, and, and then in Colossians, we are told to, to whatever we do, work hard, heartily, with all of our heart, with all of our skill into it for the Lord. You get to make much of God in how you do what you do. Whatever that do is. Because we can say this for many reasons. One, because of the Bible. But two, because God is worth it. That your life gets to be an expression of God's greatness and goodness. Pointing people to his glory and his grace. Even how you work your job. God cares about the details of your life. So we have this awesome privilege of making much of Him through our work. And then we get to make much of Him with our worship. And the portion that we read at the beginning, verses 12 through 17, we'll say verse 18 for the end. In 12 through 17, we see once again a lengthy description about the Sabbath. And what we find here is that we get to make much of God through our worship or with our worship. And what that is pointing us to is that you and I would have a rhythm of life that makes much of God. That we would have a rhythm of life that is about making much of God. And that's what Sabbath is pointing to. It's pointing to a God-centered life. We don't want to reduce Sabbath understanding of the Sabbath and its point and its pattern is just some sort of day we set aside and we live however we want. No, it's pointing to a whole life that is centered on God. It has a rhythm that is centered on God. Maybe you've noticed as we've been moving through the Exodus series 
That every time we've come down to the end of a set of instructions or commandments or directions from God, there seems to be extra attention given to the Sabbath. There seems to be a little bit lengthier discussion around that. When you think of the first four commandments that deal with our vertical relationship with God, the fourth one, which has to do with the Sabbath, has more explanation around it than the other three. seems like God is very mindful that you and I would have a rhythm in our lives that's centered on Him. It shows up in three ways. One, practically. Well, in our passage that we read, practically the workers who were building this tabernacle, it's going to take some time, uh, it wasn't a Saturday project, uh, the workers were to work on the tabernacle, but not during the Sabbath. They were to rest and to worship. So, one, this instruction is given on the heels of the direction given to these craftsmen to not be working on the Sabbath, that that was to be set aside for rest and worship. But then the explanation continues in our passage, and it's spiritually pointing us forward to an even greater truth. The Sabbath is a sign, a sign, a sign is a physical alert to a spiritual truth. The sign here, this imagery of the Sabbath, the rhythm of the Sabbath, is a physical alert cueing our heads and our hearts to a greater spiritual truth. Keeping the Sabbath, then, is us saying we belong to God And he alone is worthy. We belong to God and he alone is worthy. As we noticed when we were reading, this comes with some pretty severe consequences if we go about profaning the day. If we take what is set aside for God and use it for ourselves, it's a profaning the day. God cares about us, and he wants our heads and our hearts and our lives to be centered on him. Practically, spiritually, and then thirdly, purposefully. It's a pattern. It's following God's pattern that's laid out in creation. And what's laid out in creation? That you and I, we get to experience the same benefits. That we can be rested and refreshed. Look again back at verse 17. Speaking of the Sabbath, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The word there for refreshed literally means to take a breath. To take a breath. Now, very important, God did not need to take a breath. He didn't need to take a breath. This is the same God who spoke and then out of nothing things were. He didn't need to take a breath. So what he's doing is he's laying out this pattern for our benefit because guess what? You and I need a breath. A breath. Yes. We do. And our refreshment is found in centering our lives on God as ultimate, 
not centering on our lives as we are ultimate. When we live out our lives with the rhythm centered around ourselves as the ultimate focus, we will get worn out, weary, exhausted. That's not to say we won't be weary and tired and worn down centering our lives on God. It's just simply to point out that when we are at the center of this, and we will exhaust ourselves going nowhere. God wants us to be centered on Him, therefore finding our refreshment in Him even as we spend our lives for His glory. The Sabbath is a day set aside to say God is indeed worthy within a context of a life that's lived out as if God is worthy. That's important. This is important for us, and maybe for us, some of us, maybe a source of conviction this morning or challenge. This day set aside for God's glory isn't to be an outlier in your life. It isn't to be an oddity about you. No, it's, it is a cornerstone and a capstone. It should be consistent with how you're living out your life, making much of God through your work through your jobs, through your responsibilities, that the Sabbath, this day set apart for God and His glory to be resting and refreshed is just to be running along consistent with a life that's being spent making much of God. So you make much of God in rest and worship as you make much of God in work and responsibilities. This day should look fairly consistent with who you are and the way you live, not an outlier. It is to be foundational and joyful and consistent with our lives. Well, if you look at it this way, the way you work is to make much of God. The way you worship is to make much of God. Therefore, your whole week gets to make much of God. God cares about the details of our lives, and in that we find that we get to have a greater grasp of who he is and how much he cares for us. And we get to make much of God through our work. We get to make much of God with our worship. And that brings us last to the last verse. We get to make much of God in his word. Let's read that verse again. I don't know if it's on the screen. So just looking again back at verse 18. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. His word. It is the place where we get to know and follow and treasure God. We get to know him better, treasure him more deeply because he's given to us his word. Knowing and following God with your life, living out as if God is worth it, can't happen apart from knowing his word. Can't know God without his word. And this moment here in verse 18 is a follow-up to when Moses first went up that mountain. Just as a quick reminder, Exodus 24, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain 
and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone and the law of the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. And then again in verse 18 of Exodus 24, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So here we are, we're at the end of those 40 days and nights, and Moses receives these tablets of stone. Moses has received God's word, and he's going to bring that down for the people of God. And you and I, we get to live out our lives making much of God in what we do and how we do it, and when we gather and how we worship, but also individually in our lives and as families and as a people collected together, we get to make much of God by being in His Word, knowing Him through His Word. Submitting to God's Word is essential to making much of Him with our lives. It's essential in these ways. One, it says God is overall. Submitting to God in His Word, making much of Him in His Word, says God is over all, even my life. That He's in charge. And what He says is and isn't is what He says is and isn't. And we get to know Him through that. That's the second one. It says, submitting to God's Word, knowing Him, making much of Him in the Word, it says God is worth knowing. The Bible you have reveals God's care and His character. He reveals to us who He is and what He does. He shows us how we get to know Him. And that He's doing all these things through history so as to redeem a people to dwell with them so that they would know Him and be known by Him. How can we know God apart from knowing Him through His Word? What He's like. Thirdly, making much of God in His Word says God is worth following. God's Word is good. What you have is good. Therefore, its direction for how we live is for our good. So we, we set our heads and our hearts on His Word to know Him and follow Him. And then lastly, it says... God is worth treasuring. The culmination of God's word that you have, the culmination of it, is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus. God in the flesh entered into our humanity. Jesus who took on every single commandment, every law lived out perfectly. Jesus, who took that life, lived in our place, and on that, on those shoulders, heaped on all our sin and shame. Jesus took that to the cross. And there on the cross, he paid a debt that we could never pay. And gave a grace we could never gain. So that we could go to a place we could never go on our own. Where we could know God. And follow Him. And treasure Him. And then. That Jesus reveals 
his immeasurable worth and power and might and grace by defeating an enemy we could never defeat the grave. And now is reigning and ruling and one day returning, but is very much at work in your life and mine because the Spirit dwells in our hearts. All of this explodes in our heads and our hearts the impossible-to-measure care and character of God. And you and I, we need our hearts to be daily tenderized to that truth because our hearts will easily stiffen and go wayward. And we need this daily so that we can go about treasuring just how amazing and ultimate God is. Friends, to not submit to God's word leads to disastrous outcomes for our souls and how we live. Spoiler. Next week in chapter 32, we get to find out what the people of God are doing while Moses is up on this mountain. Our our hearts are not any different than theirs. We need God's word and we need to submit to it to make much of him in our work and in our worship. So for some of us, maybe we need to treat our vocations and jobs and responsibilities with greater respect and purpose, seeing them as avenues of making much of God, not cesspools of complaining and grumbling and misery. I get it. Sometimes a particular job is hard. A particular environment is extra challenging. I get all that. But we can't, yeah, but this. God cares about the details, so even in those hard climates and moments and seasons and coworkers and responsibilities that feel overwhelming, you too, in those very moments, get to make much of God. Or maybe we need to treat our Sunday gatherings for corporate worship as foundational and consistent with a life that is lived out to make much of God, not treating this as a spiritual caffeine shot just to get us through. This shouldn't be an outlier to your life, but foundational and a culmination. And then maybe for some of us or all of us, maybe we need to treat our Bibles as doorways into better knowing and following and treasuring God and not as relics that we hope give us some juju or artifacts that we want to you know, hold up and say, hey, at least I have this. There is no greater delight for the redeemed life than to make much of the one who redeems. This impacts all avenues of our lives. So take both conviction and comfort from this, that God supplies what he commands and that we get to know this in Christ by the Spirit and for his glory. And we know that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we certainly pray that it would find a home in our hearts and that it would do good work in us so that we could go about our lives doing this work, these jobs, carry out these responsibilities, making much of you in attitude and action. Help us to see that this gathered time is, is to be consistent with life that is lived out for your glory. So God, help us. I pray that you would help us see just how much you care about our lives in every aspect. And God, may we have hearts that are moved to your word to know you more deeply, 
truly, really, through your word, and that we would follow you with our lives and treasure you in our hearts. God, may this be evident in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, before we stand for our benediction, just again, a quick uh, reminder from two announcements last week. One, um, starting next week, we're moving to just one service. Uh, we're going to have seating here in this room. We'll expand it out to, to 90, um, and, and we'll look at ways of, of maybe doing more down the road. And we'll also have seating up in the fellowship hall. And so our hope is, again, to get everybody more together, um, even if some of that together is just connecting outside uh, after the service, at least you're here. And, um, and, and so hopefully that will transition us into whatever comes next, whenever that comes in light of all the things with COVID. We also will have an ABF that is uh, starting next week, uh, Gospel of John. It's also going to be in the fellowship hall. And it's going to be, just sign up for it online like you do for our services. There will be uh, 50 seats uh, available for that. So when it's full, it's full. Uh, but you can always reach out. Uh, we'll try to create a buffer size if, if it does fill up. Um, but anyway, that all kicks off next week. I'm very much looking forward to that. Also next week, uh, Sunday night, next week uh, at 5 p.m. is our next church-wide prayer night. Uh, we gather in this room, uh, we sit in social distance circles, but we pray together, and uh, it is uh, such a blessing and great opportunity. We'll be praying from 5 to 6 p.m. We did, I mentioned last week that you would need to register for it, um, but we have like 85, 90 spots in here, and, and we're not going to necessarily fill that up. If we did fill that up, that's an okay problem, but so we're not going to uh, require you to register in advance to be a part of our prayer night. But when you do arrive, you'll go through the normal uh, screening and check-in process. All right? Very good. Hope to see you all next week in light of that. All right, would you please stand for our benediction? As we go here, from here into the week ahead, into our jobs, our vocations, our responsibilities, let's go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen and amen. One last thing, sorry. We do need to, it's, it's, it's a beautiful March New England day, so we do need to mosey on our way outside and enjoy connecting with each other there, if we could. Thank you.